Sprezzatura. Yeah, I mean, like, you want to do it with the gusto of the Italian. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the Startup Stack. I'm your host, Louis Barrel, the founder and CEO of Rocket Place. This week, we're talking to Jessica Davidoff, founder and managing partner at Sprezzatura, a business production and management company. What is a business production and management company? I'll leave it to Jessica to give you the long answer. But basically, she's in the business of growing businesses, often from scratch. We covered a lot, including the surprising realities of building companies in the middle of a pandemic and why uncertainty can actually be a good thing for entrepreneurship. Here's Jessica. So I wanted to ask you about Sprezzatura. So you say that Sprezzatura specializes in business production and management. And I was wondering if you could tell me exactly what that means. Sure. Uh, So we basically have two sides of our business. Um, The first side is what we call business in a box, where we work with founders who are in that idea phase and we take them from idea to launch uh, through a five-phase program that we created. Um, And then post-launch, we uh, ideally transition those clients into what we call business management, where we provide um, a whole series of services for companies um, that range from accounting to operations to financial planning um, and CFO services that fall under the mechanic side so that founders can focus more on the product, creative, uh, marketing, and branding side of, of running their business. Can you, can you tell me a little bit more of um, the history of, of Sprezzatura? How, how, did you, um, how did you start the business and, and, and how did you figure out this, you know, that your specific business production angle to helping companies? Yeah, so it was very um, organic. It, it wasn't something that I, I really set out. I had spent the bulk of my career as an entrepreneur. I started my first company when I was 22 and launched three companies um, after that. And when my last company was acquired and I was thinking about what I wanted to do next, Um, I had a non-compete in the education sphere, which is where I had spent the bulk of my entrepreneurial career before that. And so when I was thinking about industries that I wanted to jump into and problems that I wanted to solve, um, the biggest problem that I had had as a founder was always regarding these kind of finance, operations, accounting um, components of the business. And just speaking with other founders, it was a very um, specific problem that that lots of founders had. And so I wanted to basically create something that I wish I had had during my first three startups. Um, and that's how we launched uh, Spreadsetura. And it really has um, kind of molded itself organically. So it first started off with the, the business management side for post-launch companies. And then while we were doing those uh, finance and operations services, one of the things that we started doing for our clients was fundraising. So building out financial projections, focusing on investor decks. And mm-hmm. that's how we started to work with pre-launch founders who had ideas, um, who wanted help on the fundraising side. And then as we started to work with these pre-launch founders, it was very apparent that we should have been working with them like as soon as they had the idea so we could advise them on some costly decisions that they had made um, that turned into mistakes. And so that's when we introduced the, um, the business in a box service, which has been so much fun. Um, it's my favorite part of uh, kind of startup life is like going from idea to launch and kind of figuring out where all the puzzle pieces fit. 
Mm-hmm. You mentioned some of the mistakes that are common to um, starting companies, especially when maybe they come to you a little bit too late. Well, tell us a little bit more. What are some of these common mistakes that founders make? Yeah, I mean, there are so many. I mean, we worked with one company who um, they had gone through business planning. They did a really successful Kickstarter campaign, um, used that money to go into production, launched their brand, sold out of their first three runs, and then were kind of doubling down and placing an order for the next one, and then um, got a cease and desist from another company because they picked a name that was already trademarked for that um, particular type of consumer good. So they had to go through this whole costly thing of destroying all of, a lot of the products. They had to go through an entire rebranding session, even though they had already paid for branding in the first place. Um, and, you know, had we been there, like one of the components in our five-phase program is IP. So talking through trademarks, copywriting, um, patents, and, and when you want to do that in the process and why it's so important and how to do searches. Um, so that's one. I mean, another company came to us and they were ready to launch. Um, We were building out their investor deck and we noticed that they uh, had the pricing of their good was uh, the cost was about $110 and they were going to charge about $142 at retail. And we were like, whoa, this margin is not big enough. You know, how are you building your whole business on this? And she didn't she was like, but there's, I'm making a profit. But we, when we kind of went through the thought process of pricing strategy, um, it was really apparent that that pricing was completely out of whack. And so, you know, just like these fundamental components of finance that a lot of people without finance backgrounds don't think of. And so, yeah, uh, just lots of, of things like that, that we've now kind of created this program to um, guide people through the things that they need to be thinking about at the specific points along that, um, that founding journey. I would love to understand what were, what were some of the toughest challenges as you started your, your firm? I think so. Oh God. I mean, the, the biggest challenge for me is I am like by nature, a problem solver. And so when I'm working with founders and clients and they come to me with a problem that doesn't necessarily fit within the scope of what we had agreed upon, I'm so inclined to just like dive in and help. And so I I had to do a lot of work in the early days of really focusing in on what we do and what we don't do um, and being really mindful of running this like a business instead of kind of running it in the way of just like, I want to solve all the problems. I don't care what was in the scope of our agreement. I just want to help because you get to be so close with your clients when they're in those early days and you have this incredible bond. So it it was very unnatural for me to say like, okay, well, I can definitely do that or my team can help with that, but we would just need to kind of add an additional scope. So I I would say it was really defining what we do, what we don't do, and then also um, being mindful of not allowing for, you know, scope creep as in, um, you know, consultants. Yeah, exactly. And is that still, is that still one of your biggest challenges or have you, have you, do you feel like that's solved and you have different big challenges today? Um, I would say that defining what we do and what we don't do, we've sort of, we've solved that. Um, we know what we're really good at. We know what we're not. We also now have a great network of, um, 
you know, vendors that other clients have worked with that do things that we don't do. So we don't mm -hmm. get, you know, down in the weeds. Um, but yeah, I, I would say like the whole scope creep thing, like that is something that I'm still dealing with today. Um, just because the nature of what we're doing and the, the stage of businesses that we're working with is so young that we form these really close bonds and we're talking every day. And, um, we, we all just want to see these businesses succeed, but I also have to kind of remember this is a business and we, you know, need to be mindful of that as well. And, you know, on the other side of things, did you have like an aha moment where you finally felt like this is going to work? This business <laughs> is, is going to be successful. Um, and, and I really, I know where we're going and I'm confident in the future. Yeah. You know, it, it was, it, it's been interesting. I, um, I had a, a client called State Bags that I um, ended up taking over as their full-time CEO um, for over a year. And it was an incredible learning experience, but it also definitely took me a little bit away from business development for Sprezzatura because um, I was really in the weeds with that company and I was going into their office four days a week, um, building out a completely new team from when I had taken over. And um, when I was able to step back from that um, engagement and really double down and take time to think about what we wanted Sprezzatura to be, it was almost like a rebirth because I had this like year plus hiatus um, working on state bags. And that was in February of this year. And it was interesting timing because COVID hit. And um, we really took a lot of time as a team to kind of pause and just like really talk through um, the services that we wanted to focus on and how to remarket ourselves because um, we had really hit the pause button on um, business development. And so in March, when we really started to focus on what we wanted to to, fo to be and do going forward, um, things just started to fall into place. And we got like nine new clients during the height of COVID, which I thought was really interesting that people were still working on these entrepreneurial ideas. And that was when it really felt great which is crazy considering everything else in the world, in my life, everybody's life felt awful, but I felt this like sense of calm and, and purpose of, of what I was doing every day. Um, and it felt so good to be working on Sprezzatura again um, and really thinking through how we're going to grow it and how, and where we're going next. I have to ask because I've heard they call you the wolf. So how did you get that <laughs> nickname? Um, it's actually funny. I mean, Everyone in my life, whether it's like people at my companies or my friends, like whenever anyone has any problem, whether it's like a medical issue or like a relationship problem or obviously like business stuff, everybody comes to me and I'm always the person who's like, okay, I'm going to do all this research. I don't know anything about medicine. I don't know anything about this, but I'm going to figure it out. And like, I'm going to give you the list of things that you need to do. And then I'm going to follow up with you and I'm going to make sure you're doing it. And I'm very calm. So my husband actually gave me the nickname years and years ago. And now my desk is kind of chock full of wolf paraphernalia. I have wolf mug. I have a wolf, like the equivalent of like a Barbie doll wolf um, action figure. I have this like p movie poster. I mean, it's like, I have a sweatshirt. I have the, the whole thing. It's like, <laughs> I love it. 
I, I love it. The 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 Jessica Patronus is the wolf. It's great. Let, yeah, I'm letting my exactly. nerd flag fly. <laughs> um, okay, this is awesome. Uh, you know, so one of one of the things I'm I love to ask entrepreneurs like yourself running service businesses is. If you could give advice to other entrepreneurs, so for example, you know, like the the entrepreneurs you help today that are starting businesses, um, as they're thinking about working with firms like yourself, you know, all over the country, you know, they're they're looking for people to help them get their startup running. Maybe they're looking for help fundraising, et cetera. Um, you know, maybe they're looking for you know this kind of business in a box solution. What what is what are the questions that they should be asking when, when they meet you? To understand, mm -hmm. is this a good fit? Is this going to be a good working relationship? What, what are the types of things that they should be looking for and asking? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that they should be asking of us and of any um, services business what types of companies they've worked with in the past um, to see if it, they fall into a similar category. Um, I would definitely say another thing to ask about is how people work and their communication style. Are they email communicators? Are they great with Slack? Are they comfortable with using a project management tool? Are they comfortable with integrating in with um, your process or do you have to integrate into their process? Um, so those would be other things. I would also say, um, just personality wise and just having like, obviously now we can't really have any sort of, um, you know, in-person like drinks or like casual conversation, mm -hmm. but definitely focusing in on, um, just like a, a, a really casual chat and doing and getting references and understanding if you guys vibe well together, because I think that especially what we do, which is ongoing work and it's, it's, you know, in those early stages that can be really stressful. You want to understand, you know, how well you're going to work together. Um, and then the last thing I would say is to talk through uh, a time when one of your clients was going through a really rough time and how you worked through that. Because, I mean, you probably know as well, like when you're interviewing and figuring out who you want to take investment from, they always say, ask them about their worst, co the company that failed or the company that went through like a really bad spot and how they dealt with it and how mm -hmm. they were there for that company. And I think it's really similar to your service provider. And then I definitely think it's really important for uh, founders to talk about the size of the company who they're going to be working with, whether um, the person that they start working with is going to be the same person or whether you kind of get bounced around. Um, I've seen that happen with uh, PR yeah. companies where you start with someone, you have this great vibe, and then that person gets pulled off your account and a new person comes in and you have to like, re-engage and to explain your whole backstory to this new person and then another person. So just understanding the turnover and um, the account management um, policies at the company and how that company plans to scale with you. Do you think there are red flags that you would warn entrepreneurs to look out for? Um, I think that there are definitely red flags in the way of overpromising. Um, when people say things like, oh, you know, we'll get you at the top of Google or, you know, we're going to hit, you know, a 10x ROAS, like return on ad spend, you know, within your first month of working with us. Um, mm -hmm. I think those are really red flags because I think for any 
startup, it's hard. It's going to take time and there's going to be a lot of lessons to be learned. Mm-hmm. I would say it's, there's certain things when you're interviewing vendors that you just, you don't necessarily need to be an expert at digital marketing or someone who can run their own Facebook ads well, but you need to know enough to ask the right questions, like understanding, um, you know, attribution windows and asking about those kind of nuances are really important. Um, that's like, that's a great area where we can add value. Like when we are interviewing, um, vendors with our clients, you know, we'll give them enough information to sort of vet some of these vendors and kind of check them a little bit to make sure that they are, um, you know, not giving, you know, selling them like a whole story that is never going to come true. If you were going to go back in time and give yourself some advice, you know, maybe, you know, before you started or right about to start Sprezzatura, what would be the pieces of advice you would give yourself as an entrepreneur? or other entrepreneurs who are thinking about starting their own consulting firms? Yeah, I would say spend, I would say that I, that any person who's looking to start a services firm, um, spend time focusing on your core customer. Um, we definitely were like very way too broad as you know, which is a common mistake of, of a lot of entrepreneurs. They say, you know, our customer is all women between 25 and, you know, 60. Mm-hmm. Um, and unless, and the more specific you are, whether you're launching a product or a service brand, the more specific you can be with who your customer is and almost creating an actual persona, um, and constantly like coming back to that person, Um, whether it's real or a hybrid of multiple people and thinking about what that person wants and how you can solve specific problems that that person has. I think it makes your offering much clearer. Uh, When we first launched, we launched as more of a general management consulting company. And I think when people think management consulting, they think, you know, the big firms like McKinsey, Boston Consulting Group, and Bain. Um, And for startups, People are like, well, what actually do you do? And we're like, well, we can do a lot of things. We can solve right. this problem, this right. problem. And I think the more specific you can be of like, we solve this problem and this is how, and these are our pricing. And the clearer you can be in terms of what you can do as it relates to problem solving for someone, the easier the sell is going to be because it doesn't require the client to do any thinking on their own. And I think when you first start consulting, you just want your first couple of clients because you just you know, want revenue in the door and you want to like just start working. And as a result, you like just say yes to a lot of things that aren't necessarily the right things. And it, it kind of puts you down paths that distract you. And then you have this website that does like all these things. So I would say as hard as it is to really refine that at the get-go and say no at the beginning when you need your first client, like I want to write myself a note that like the next company, like just say no until you get the right, you know, client, because I think it makes it so much easier to scale when you're just doing that one thing really, really well. Jessica has actually put out a ton of great resources. We link to them on the blog. So go there to check it out when this episode is over. All right. That's all. And as you're thinking about, you know, you, you know, you were just saying a few minutes ago that, you know, COVID started you know, you had tons of inbound, you had these nine new clients come in. What are you looking for when you're taking on a new client? 
So I think that for us, we want, we have really narrowed our sweet spot into consumer brands. So anything from, you know, apparel and accessories to consumer packaged goods, to food, to alcohol. Um, but we really like physical products and we think that we're really, um, excelling and specializing there. So that is, is something for us that, um, we weren't doing, uh, when I first started the business and we had SaaS clients and we had restaurants and we still do have some, but now, you know, we really say like we are experts at consumer brands. And then, uh, I would say looking for kind of like growth potential and understanding what the founder wants. We're not saying that we only want to work with venture backable brands, but, Like there are a lot of people who want to start businesses and want to just kind of have them as great solopreneur projects, um, or, you know, they're going to sell like a couple of products on their website and, but don't really have the bandwidth or, or the desire to scale it to like that five to 15 million in revenue. And so that for us is, we don't feel like we can add as, as much value. We really see ourselves as, um, the place to come and we'll take you from idea to launch. And then with the business management, we'll take you from launch to, you know, 15 million in revenue. And then at that point, we usually feel as though companies need to transition to all full-time staff instead of outsourced, but that's kind of our sweet spot. I wanted to transition to the trends you're seeing out there. You were saying things got really busy at the beginning of COVID. Yes. You know, we've had a ton of things going on in the world from, you know, the global pandemic to um, social unrest, plus like doing all our work via Zoom. And yeah. so I would I would love to get your take on, you know, what, what are you seeing right now in your industry? You know, how is COVID affecting things? What other trends are you seeing out there that um, are affecting your business and, and that you think are either going to persist or, or maybe change? So that's a, that's a great question. I think a lot more people are considering entrepreneurship, um, right now, whether that's because they lost their job or were furloughed for a a portion of time and had the bandwidth and the, the space to think about something entrepreneurial, but we've gotten just way more people coming to us saying like, I want to start a business, you know, and I want to do X, Y, Z. And so I think that that is going to be a trend that continues because, you know, with this kind of uncertainty in, um, people's careers, I think they are going to be more inclined to start that side hustle, start that entrepreneurial endeavor as a backup in case their current job, you know, doesn't pan out or in case they can't get a new job. Um, so I do think that we will see more entrepreneurs. Um, I think in terms of just sort of where COVID is, I think the people have definitely been thinking a lot more about the way that they work and their homes. Um, so the ideas that we're seeing are definitely like very much in line with what people are doing now that they can't go out. So I think, you know, on the product side and on the, um, industry side, like we're going to see more things regarding the home, food, cooking, um, kids, Mm -hmm. pets, you know, to kind of make your home beautiful. Um, and then for us, kind of one of the things that we, that that I in, in particular, but my team and I have done is, um, you know, the the kind of Black Lives Matter movement and um, George Floyd that that really hit home for us, and we really took a pause. We completely paused on social media and, and content 
um, for the entire summer, actually, to really think through how we want to be part of the solution to help more Black founders and more underrepresented founders. And so I've been working all summer on writing our business in a box process out Mm -hmm. into a book, which I'm going to launch in 2021 with the goal of being able to donate the book um, for free to black founders and and groups of underrepresented entrepreneurs so that even if they can't afford our services, that we can still offer the same guidance um, of what we do and our process so that, you know, people can do it themselves, even if they can't necessarily afford to pay for our services. And that was something that we really did a lot of reflection on. And I think a lot of brands will, you know, have hopefully, you know, continued thinking about um, diversity and incorporating, you know, a lot of the sentiment from June into their daily practices, but it's something that we've really spent a lot of time focusing on this summer. That's awesome. And I'm hearing that from a lot of entrepreneurs of, of all types. Yeah. And today, what do you think the most common, what is the common pain point that you're getting asked by your clients today as they come to you? Right now, the biggest pain point is regarding financial planning and kind of knowing how to predict, you know, even six months in advance um, from everything from like how much inventory do we need to buy for spring 2021 to what kind of hires can we make next year and what are our revenue projections? And I think that it's really hard right now because 2020 was such a weird year. Um, You know, some of our clients, even some of the largest (laughs) companies in the world aren't are, you know, have stopped releasing financial forecasts. Yeah. I mean, so I think for a startup, that's really hard because, you know, you can't really get big loans, you know, if you need to borrow. Um, and, you know, every dollar you spend, you need to be really confident of it because a lot of these people who are founders, you know, they have 18 months runway, 12 months runway. And if they make a, a mistake, you know, there goes your, your runway. And so I think that's like very hard for us. You know, what, what was usually very methodical in terms of how we would do budgeting and how we would do financial projections. Now it's like, we're constantly revising and revising. And every month when we have actuals, we're making tweaks that are like huge tweaks. Um, because, assumptions for 2020 just kind of went out the window and we're just kind of like, uh, you know, I don't know what's going to happen to COVID in October. And so I think that's been really challenging. Obviously it's hard on us because my team wants to do the best work that they can for our clients, but it's also hard on the clients because they almost feel like they can't make great decisions without all of the, um, the data. But I try to assure them, you know, this is the entire world. And I, I really focus my clients at least on being super conservative in terms of assumptions, super conservative in terms of spending, not ramping up, you know, just because we had like a great August, you know, not like doubling down in September because who knows what, what the fall and the winter is going to bring during flu season. Yeah. And, and funny enough, in terms of great August, I've been hearing from a lot of companies that, you know, July and August have been some of their some of their best months ever as companies, which has been amazing to see, especially yeah. given everything that we're seeing in the world. Well, this was awesome. Thank you, Jessica, for sharing so much about your business and telling us about the Resortura. I really enjoyed it today. Thank you. Amazing. Thank you so much. And I'm so excited for you. For more on our conversation today, visit www.rocketplace.com podcast. We upload a new episode every week. So if you haven't yet, make sure to subscribe to the Startup Stack in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to them. 
Thanks again for joining us. See you next week. The Startup Stack, written and edited by Hannah Levy, produced by Leah Jackson.